Well, I want to start out with a question today. And I think that this is a question that I hope that you'll take seriously and truly contemplate deep in your heart. Do you believe that you were born for a purpose? Do you believe that you were born for a purpose? 1946, one of my 1A and 1B favorite movies came out. I can't really delineate between which is my favorite movie because one is seasonal, the other is Indiana Jones. So you have Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and you also have It's a Wonderful Life, two of the greatest movies ever made. 1946, they decided to release it early. Remember, this is just after World War II. Anybody alive during World War II? Like you were... Okay, so... This, I was just thinking about my grandpa and grandma and how they must have, you know, what, I wondered what they thought about this movie. But they decided to release this movie. It was slated to go out in January. They released it December 20th. That needed to break even if they were able to pull in $6 million. It only pulled in half of that. It was considered a box office bust. But the movie It's a Wonderful Life would go on to change Thousands and hundreds of thousands of people's lives and perspective. You know the story. It's a story of the Bailey boy who um, stays home and to run the, the savings and loan. His brother becomes a war hero who he had saved at a young age. He marries the love of his life. And that wonderful scene where they fall into the pool in the middle of the basketball floor. And I'm wondering why would they put a pool under the basketball floor? But that's beside the point. He has children that are filled with joy and that he loves, but everything comes crashing down in a moment of feeling trapped and broken and depressed. He contemplates committing suicide. He jumps over the bridge, but not because he chose to commit suicide, but because Clarence had jumped in first so that George would jump in to save him, right? And he tells Clarence, I just wish that I had never been born. Life would have been better for everybody if I had never been born. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever felt that? Even in the quiet moments when no one else will ever hear what you think or feel. And angel, the angel Clarence decides to give him a gift and that gift is, okay, I'm going to show you, George Bailey, what life would have been like without you. And George runs around that little town of Beaver Falls. Is that the name of the town? Well, it doesn't matter because I'm up here and you're down there. It doesn't matter what you think. So anyway, he runs around this town looking to, to see all of the people he loved and what their fate was. And he tries his best to intervene, but he can't because he's not really George Bailey anymore. And, and he's like, I want to live. I want to live no matter what the consequences. I want to live because the people I love most were impacted by my life and I want them to be happy. So please let me live. Dear God, let me live. And what people heard right after World War II when some insane number of people had died millions and millions of people was that life has value and life has purpose and every one of us touches the life of someone else. Do you believe that you were born for a purpose? Yeah. 
We talk a lot about being pro-life here, and we are pro-life. We're pro-life for the unborn, but we're also pro-life for those who are alive. Because we believe that every life matters. Every life has value. My question is, is do you believe that your life has value? Maybe you're not the best person to answer that. Because maybe today you are struggling with depression or anxiety or feeling like your purpose is over or feeling like your future is not available to you because your best days are behind you and the the days ahead of you are just you existing until the end. But friends, what would the people around you who have loved you, who have watched you, who have grown beside you, what would they say? Does your life have value? Does your life have purpose? Now, there are some names you need to know as we get into the story of Exodus chapter 2. If you want to turn your Bibles today, we're going to be in verses 1 through 10. We're going to go, um, you know, I like to go verse by verse at some of these times. And so we're going to just follow along. But there are some names you need to know so that you can follow along with the story. The first name you need to know is Jochebed. And that's Moses' mother. Uh, his older sister's name is Miriam. And in this story, she's probably a preteen. She's not a teenager yet. And then later on, we're going to read about his older brother, Aaron, who's about three years older than Moses was. And uh, one of my friends in the back who runs the video, I won't tell you his name, Gene Kirk, but he said I should add the name Ichabod just to throw everybody off. But that's from another story, another time. Okay, so let's get into Exodus chapter 2. We're going to start in the first couple verses. This is what it says. About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. Now, if you remember as they go forward, what does the tribe of Levi become? The priests, those who serve God. It's interesting, isn't it, that his parents come from this tribe of Levi. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a... What kind of baby? A special baby and kept him hidden for three months. Now that word translated as special in this text in the Living Translation is an interesting word in the Hebrew. It can go a lot of different ways. It can mean a lot of different things. Some of our best translations translate that Hebrew word as beautiful. I like that. I like that translation better than special. He was a beautiful baby. Some people think that that means that when Moses' parents, and I don't know why we don't know Moses' dad. Why do the dads always get left out? Know his mom's name, but not the dad's name. But as they looked down on tiny little Moses, that they thought their son was a good-looking kid. If you have kids, you probably understand that. Doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Most of us, when we look down at our children, think, man, that's a good-looking baby. Rarely ever does a parent look down at their child and think, man, this kid is ugly. They got way too many of their in-laws bad genes. Because the best genes always come from our families, don't they? We think our kids are beautiful even if everyone else thinks our kids look like Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill even acknowledged the fact when he said, we think our kids are beautiful, even, he said, sorry, he said, all babies look like me, and then I look like all babies. And he was right. (laughs) 
Every baby looks like Winston Churchill. Just look next time and you'll see that that's true. Do you know what I think this text means when it says that his parents looked down and saw that he was special or that he was beautiful? What I think that means is they looked into the eyes of their son. They looked into his his little soul and they thought God has a purpose for our child. Have you ever had a child and thought God has a purpose for my child? He was created for a purpose. She was created for a purpose. There has to be something more. I see the potential. If you parents can't see the potential in your children, who's going to see it? That's why American Idol was such a hit because somebody's mama told them they could sing. Because we love our kids. And we know that God has created them for something better. But here's the question I want to wrestle with today Were you born for a purpose? Were you born for a purpose? Um, My. uh, Kids are six, four, two, and four months old. It's going to be important for you to remember that later on. Why, I don't know, but it's going to be important. So there's this new Disney movie out. It's called Encanto. How many of you have seen it? Okay, one of you. That's good. Uh, Oh, there's a couple of you. Encanto is the newest Disney movie. It came out at last end of last year. And I wasn't going to watch it. And now my kids sing the songs and I can't get those stinking songs out of my head. You know, I want to listen to 80s hair bands and I'm singing in canto. But um, it's an interesting story. It's a story about a family called the Madrigals. And in this horrific opening scene, they're facing tragedy. And all of the sudden, they lose the father. Again, why does the father always get in trouble? But they lose the father, but some magic comes to protect the mother and her three babies and mountains are built up. They have a magical house and there are a group of villagers that they serve and protect. Now, it's interesting. Every family member who is born has a special gift or strength. So what does every family member born out of that family have? A special gift or a strength. If you look at this picture right here, you're going to see uh, that one cousin of the main character has the ability to make flowers. Why that's a gift, I don't know, but it's a gift in this story. And she has all kind of flower power. Wait a second. I don't know if that's a good thing. Anyway, this cousin has the ability to hear even the most minute thing. And this is the mother. And when they go to a certain age... They find out what their power is. They, they walk up to a door in the house that has their profile. They turn the knob and they, their, their gift, their purpose, their talent, their strength is revealed. Because every child, every person of this family's purpose is to protect the village and protect the family from the dangers outside of it. Until we get to this young lady, turn to the next slide. <clears throat> This is Maribel. She's the the hero of the story. And when she is a certain age, she goes up to the room that has the profile of her picture. And she goes up to turn the golden knob. And when she does, something unexpected happens. The door disappears. And everyone gasps. And everyone is shocked. Because everyone else has a special talent or ability or purpose, but not Maribel. Can you imagine being a part of a family where everyone has been given a gift or a talent or special purpose except you? 
Can you imagine believing that everyone else was blessed and everyone else is a blessing to others except you? Now, I won't ruin the rest of the story for you, but maybe you ought to watch it because what you discover is it's in her not receiving the magical talent or gift that gives her the opportunity to save the day. Because everyone has a purpose, was born for a reason, and has been infused with a mission. Turn to the person next to you and say, this recording will self-destruct in 10 seconds. (laughs) But you have a mission. You have a purpose. Let me give you some examples in scripture why I believe this. Anybody remember the story of Esther? Great story, beautiful story, whole book. It's the only book of the Bible that doesn't mention God by name. But you see God all the way through it. Esther is just a lowly. She, her family had been uh, taken to another country when uh, her country was devastated. She's living in Persia. And uh, there's this beauty pageant. And she's a pageant girl, but not by choice. And so she goes through and she wins the pageant. She becomes the wife of Xerxes, who, if you remember, Xerxes is the guy that failed in his invasion of Greece and when he comes home, he gets rid of his wife, has a beauty pageant. Uh, Queen Vashti's gone. Esther wins. She comes. Nobody knows that she's Jewish. And all of a sudden, in the sideline, there's this other guy who wants to wipe out all the Jews. And Esther's uncle, a guy by the name of Mordecai, says, you got to speak up. You are the one person who can save your people. But even if you choose not to, help will come from another place. And your family will be lost. And then he says something that has resonated through the centuries. Who knows but that you were put in this place for such a time as this. I.e. you were born with a purpose. And now is your moment to stand up, stand in the gap and fight. Jeremiah is writing to a remnant of people who have been displaced and and been taken into captivity. And he's writing to a people who feel like they've lost everything, like their heritage is gone, like their purpose is gone, like their future is gone. And he is writing to this nation and he says that God says, for I have the plan, for I know the plans I have for you. Now he's writing to a nation, but friends, that message is consistent with the message of the good news that God created you for a purpose for such a time as this. He has plans for you and he has not forgotten you. He has not forsaken you. When I was in kindergarten at Price Elementary School, I used to walk by this hall way. And even though I couldn't read, people would read for me. There was a poster of a kid and it said, God don't make no junk. Well, now you know why people from Indiana have trouble putting sentences together. We were taught bad grammar, but the reality is, is that God don't make no junk. Turn to the person next to you and says, you are not junk. And you turn back and say, but I am garage sale quality. I mean, I don't No, Don't say that. God don't make no junk. Maybe one of the most telling passages in Ephesians chapter 2 when Paul writes this. He says, for we are God's, what's the word? Masterpiece. Or some translations say handiwork. Listen to this, friends. He has created us anew through who? 
so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You were born with a purpose. 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 Okay, my dad used to do this when he would teach high school and elementary kids. And some of you have heard me do this. Some of you haven't. Some of you hate this. I don't care. I'm up here. You're down there. So everybody hold up your thumb and repeat after me. I am somebody. Because you are. Because you are. Because you are. Because you are. Verses 2 through 3 say, She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. Two quick thoughts on this part of the text. The first one is, can you imagine trying to hide a baby from the Egyptian soldiers and spies and those who were working with the Egyptians from everybody else for three months? How do you hide a pregnancy uh, for, for that long, first of all? Second, how do you hide a crying baby? Now, my son, the newest addition to our family, Indiana, Jesse, or excuse me, Isaiah, Jesse, Indiana Hargrave is four months old. And I can promise you when he is mad, you can't go anywhere in your house without hearing that kid. He gets that from his mom. So how do you hide that baby for three months without anyone knowing? Second thing is, can you imagine the feelings that they must have experienced that after three months, they realized they couldn't protect their child anymore and they were going to have to give him up? I think one of the most difficult times in the life of a parent is when you realize you can't protect your children anymore. You can't protect them from society. You can't protect them from their own decisions. You have to trust that God is going to lead them. But what you can do is a four-letter word. P-R-A-Y. You pray for your kids, you pray for your family. It must have been a really horrific day for them. We don't know what happened. Maybe the buildup is, is that the Egyptians were beginning to go house to house because so many of the Hebrew boys had survived. And so they had to do something. Maybe you've been there. A day called hopeless. A day called fear. A day called loss. Well, they decided to trust God. Trust is hard on the good days, right? It's heartbreaking on the hard days. But sometimes the only time we're willing to trust is when we have no other option. Friends, that's where God does his best work. When you are out of options, when your hope is gone, when things seem catastrophic, when you are stacked against the odds, when things are cascading down around your ankles and your knees and your body, when you feel suffocated, when you feel like there is no out, like there is no win, like there is no hope, the God who created you in your mother's womb, why? Because you have a purpose, is saying to you, 
The end of the story's not being written yet. Because I'm in it. And when I'm in it, there's no Hail Mary that's too far. Most incredible football games, some of the four most incredible football games I've ever seen happen this weekend. Do you believe in miracles? Al Michaels would say. I think it was Al Michaels. If not, I don't care. But last second grasping at straws victories pulled from the defeat or wins pulled from the mouth of the lions took place. And I thought to myself, that's kind of like our life. When everything seems hopeless, when everything seems like we're helpless, when people treat us poorly, when other people hurt us with their decisions, when we've made bad decisions that devastate us and devastate those around us, and we feel like giving up, your story is not over because you were born with a purpose and God doesn't give up on people. And he hasn't given up on you. And as my beautiful bride loves to say, and you say it with me, if you have a... If you have a pulse, you have a what? Turn to the person next to you and say, you got a purpose. Do you believe it? Listen, you don't get to retire, friends. Your life is not at an end. You are just not waiting till the last minute is extinguished. God has left you here to change humanity, to change the world, to do something about the suffering that people are going through, to lend a hand, to lend a hope, to step into the gap because you were created for a purpose and everything that you have experienced to this point is coming together for you to serve. Your life is not over. Your purpose is not ended. So come on. There's work to be done. The kingdom needs you. God's purpose for you has not expired. Verses 3 through 4 says, She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. Did I just say river? River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen. Now, Chuck Swindoll has an interesting theory here. Have you ever seen reeds in a river, a reed river? If you've ever been to Egypt, you've seen the Nile. Anybody been on the Nile? Anybody get dysentery on the Nile? (laughs) Don't eat the salad. That's my, my instructions to you. So if you know what a reed is, you know that. They're kind of semi-flexible, but they're also strong. And if you were to take a basket and put a baby in it and put it in the reeds, do you think it's going to go anywhere? There's something interesting at this time in history, according to Chuck Sundahl. He says that two of Pharaoh's daughters were co-regents of a section of the Nile of the river. Here's something else to, that you need to understand. And we're going to get into this later in the book of Exodus. But they believe that the Nile river was a God, small g. And if Jochebed was as wise as maybe we think that she was, she knew where Pharaoh's daughter would be. She knew how they viewed the Nile river as a God. She knew that the, maybe the only chance that her son had was for this princess to hear a crying baby and believe that the Nile God had given her a child who had been pulled from the water. 
Chuck Swindoll says that Moses' mother intentionally placed her son there because she knew that the princess would come. And she left her daughter there hoping and waiting for a chance. And if that chance came, she told her daughter exactly what to say when that moment came. Here are the next verses. <laughs> Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. Catch this. I will pay you for your help. So the woman took the baby home and nursed him. Now, how did the princess know that this baby was a Hebrew? Was there a little blanket stuffed inside that was made with a Hebrew pattern? You know, crocheted or knitted a certain way? Or was it because she reasoned that no one would leave a child in the Nile River unless they were hoping that that child's life might be saved? And since there was an edict from her father that every male child of the Hebrews must be killed, maybe a Hebrew woman place this child in the Nile to save his life. Either way, it's not a mistake that that's mentioned in this text. Know that there is no unintentional descriptions put in God's word. It's there for our benefit. There's therefore reason. Josephus, anybody know who he is? He is an ancient Hebrew historian, Jewish historian. He used to be a general in the... Uh, uh, Hebrew army um, by a strange, rather questionable experience. A thousand soldiers committed suicide rather than give up to the Romans uh, because they drew straws <laughs> to see who should be the last guy standing. And somehow Josephus was that guy. He comes out, he tells Titus, he said, uh, someday I believe that you're going to be an emperor. And Titus says, I like you. Why don't you come along and be my buddy? And so he goes to Rome eventually after they conquer Israel. And um, he becomes a royal historian. One of the things he writes about is the, the Jewish people. Josephus said this. He said, when the princess pulls out the baby, she recognized that the child was hungry and wanted someone to feed it. And so she went to her maids and said, hey, can anybody feed this baby? And none of them could. And it's then when she was perplexed and had no idea what to do that Miriam steps out and says, hey, how about I get you one of the Hebrew women to come and feed this baby? Now, we don't know if that's true. It's not in scripture, but that's what Josephus grew up on. That's the tradition that he had been taught about the story. Can you imagine as Miriam runs to her mother, Jochebed, and says, Mom, you're not going to believe this. It worked. They're looking for someone to take care of this baby. You need to come right now. Can you imagine her trying to control her emotions? She's going to get to see her son. She's going to get to feed her son. Her son is going to live. God has worked through the miraculous and the unexpected and the impossible to come up and show up at this place at this time for right now. Her heart must have been racing. Her palms must have been sweating. Was it difficult for her to breathe? We don't know. 
How do you not run through the river or run with all abandoned to go to the princess to see your little boy? I don't know. But God was in that moment is what I do know. Little did either one of these women know that the little boy that they were gazing down upon who had just been pulled from the basket and pulled from the water would influence and touch millions of lives in their generation, let alone the millions and tens of millions and billions and trillions of people who would live after that. Here's the amazing thing I think about this story. This just blows my mind. Look what God does here in a hopeless situation. God saves the life of Moses against all odds. Not only that, but Jochebed got paid by Pharaoh to raise her own son. Not only was she able to raise him and we see Moses growing up in his own family's home. And being protected by the edict of Pharaoh. And and friends, I think it's through that relationship that Moses is going to discover who he really is and where his roots come from and his true identity. And because he's the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, he's sent to the very best schools in the world. Kind of like we value Indiana University today. Who but God? Who but God is going to step into that gap and do something so miraculous? I love that story, and I'm, and I'm going off script a little bit here. I love that story when there was a woman who was a widow, and she was a fervent believer, and she believed in God, and she praised God, and her, her neighbor was an atheist. And one day she was struggling with food. She came out to her porch and said, God, please, you know I have nothing. Please provide food for me. And the atheist thought, now I'm going to get this woman. And so he went and bought groceries secretly, and he went up to her door, and he placed three or four sacks of groceries groceries, rang her doorbell, jumped over the banister into the bushes right next to her house. And she came out and she's like, praise Jesus. Thank you so much for providing everything that I need. Lord, thank you for providing for me in my depth of despair. And the atheist guy pops up and he's like, ha, you think God provided these groceries for you? I bought these groceries for you. Woman looked at him and said, thank you, Jesus. Not only did you provide these groceries for me, but you made the devil pay for it. Who but God? Who but God? Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. And the word Moses is a combination of words. It is the Egyptian word for son and the Hebrew word, were brought out of the water. Now, I always thought that Jochebed must have brought Moses back to the palace after he was weaned. Um, like most dads, I have no idea what that means. But my wife told me that it's somewhere between two and five years old when a child back then must have been weaned off their mother's milk. And so um, that's what I always assumed. I was shocked when I looked at the Hebrew word here. 
Because it doesn't say after he was weaned. What it says is when he grew older. How old was he? How long did they get to live with this boy? Um, Chuck Swindoll kind of indicates he thinks he was a little bit older. Is it possible? I don't know. (laughs) But one thing that we know in this story is with God, anything is possible. And friends, that's true in your life right now. Anything is possible. God has not forgotten you. You are not alone. You are not left. You are not disposable. Your life has value and meaning and beauty in it. So don't you let the world tell you that you have no purpose. Don't you let your uh, infirmities, your um, trials, your struggles tell you that your purpose is over. Because... Maybe what God needs right now from you is to stand up and to contribute to those around you. Because if you have a pulse, so who here has a purpose? Who here didn't raise their hand and we need to call the EMTs? Can you imagine that day when Jochebed has to say goodbye to her son? She didn't know if she'd ever see him again. Did the whole family go to the palace gates? Did they send soldiers to take Moses back? How did it happen? If Moses was old enough to understand the household that he had lived in, was he afraid? He didn't know those people. He didn't understand who they were. He didn't understand palace life. He'd gone from living in a hovel hovel to living in a palace. He'd gone from having an intimate family to having now living in a royal household with people he didn't quite understand. He may not have understood what the future held, but God did. And friends, God knows right where you are in your story right now. And he's cheering you on and he's begging you to believe that miracles still happen today. Because you are God's masterpiece. Now turn to the person next to you. This is the last time I'll make you do this today. You are a masterpiece. You are a masterpiece. You say it back. Now, if you're single and you are looking for an opportunity to meet a lady today and you sat down next to her, you owe me dinner. (laughs) One of the hardest things for us to believe is that we are a masterpiece. That we have purpose. That God can use this junk of a life that we have found ourselves in. But God don't make no junk. And you were created for a purpose to live out his story. So we are going to pray and then we are going to worship and we are going to pray that God reveals to you your true worth. Okay. God, I just thank you so much for the people who are watching online, for the people who are gathered here together today. Lord, for some of us 
to even begin to dare to believe that you love us or that we have worth or that we have value or that we can find redemption or that you can reclaim us from a messed up life is one of the most difficult challenges that we face. So God, help us to believe. Help us to see. God, help us to be a light. Lord Jesus, we love you. We love you, we love you, we love you. So we ask for the miraculous. And we ask that you would move among us today in where we are and in our life story and in our hopelessness and our sadness and our grief and our fear and you would move mightily. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.